Welcome to the World Nomads podcast, delivered by World Nomads, the travel lifestyle and insurance brand. It's not your usual travel podcast. It's everything for the adventurous, independent traveler. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Kim and alongside me is Phil. And in this episode, we're traveling to Morocco. Very exotic indeed. A North African country bordering the Atlantic and the Mediterranean. Do you know it's the fifth largest Arab country by population. There's over 33.5 million people in the country. Uh, of course, it's known for uh, predictably sand dunes, but also <laughs> beaches and markets and mountains. And it also, Phil, forms the backdrop to many foreign films that have been entirely or at least partially shot in Morocco, which brings us to your quiz question. Name three Hollywood movies that have been filmed in Morocco. And if you say Casablanca... You're, You're wrong. wrong. That was filmed in Burbank, it California. Enti- it was entirely Inside on the site. Studio. Yeah, All on right. site. Pick okay. three others. We'll have the answer at the end of the episode, but we don't have any Hollywood stars in this episode, Phil. Our guests are stars in their own right, <laughs> including yourself. Oh. <laughs> Ollie runs a business called Rad Season. It's an all-in-one website for finding and booking accommodation to the best action, sports, adventure and music festivals in the world. He's going to chat surfing in Morocco. We'll find out about capturing the best pics with Ralph and Claudia will share her story of uh, her time with a family and it was around Thanksgiving which is a really important time to um, Americans isn't it? Plus meet the girls who are travelling to every country in the world but our first guest is Marek Braun he was a gaming designer I know right? Right. He quit his job to travel now he runs the travel blog called Indie Traveller and it's sharing budget travel guides alongside tips on packing and gear and Morocco is one of the destinations that feature on the site and Marek has broken down a visit there into three key areas. Um, yeah, I think what I did was probably, um, uh, so I spent, I spent a month in um, Morocco um, and it struck me that there are some sort of itineraries or routes that people um, um, usually might want to consider. Uh, I think there's sort of um, this Standard trip seems to be Marrakesh, the city of Marrakesh, um, and the Sahara. Those uh, usually go together in a one-week experience where you're in the old city for a while, uh, you know, exploring the markets, uh, um, uh, maybe staying in a Riyadh, one of those um, uh, traditional sort of um, uh, almost palatial little uh, hotels with a courtyard. Uh, you go to the Sahara, that's like one week uh, um, sort of um, uh, a classic a Morocco experience, I would say, um, and there are two other sort of clusters of um, um, popular destinations. One in the north, uh, closer to Spain. You can even get there from Spain with a ferry, um, and one further to the south, uh, which you can reach quite easily if you uh, fly to Agadir, for instance, which is uh, kind of a resort, seaside resort place. Not usually my kind of thing. Um, I like to explore and discover in the country, but actually Agadir, it's really well connected. So from there, you can do um, a, a trip around the south very easily. It's not many places where you can put sand dunes, beaches, mountains and desert <laughs> into the kind of top five yes. things that it has going <laughs> for it. It's pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think Morocco is great, actually. Uh, it's, it is a very unique destination and it is so close to Europe as well. I mean, uh, I'm from Europe, so it's, it's easy for me to get there. Um, but other listeners who might be from Australia or the United States, it, it's a really great add on to, you know, if you're visiting, um, Europe anyway. Um, uh, because it's just so different. You you go there and just culturally it's completely different and just visually as well. Um, all these desert towns and um, and and these markets and um, uh, everything is is a whole different 
little world. It's it's um I, I like to have these sort of immersive experiences when I travel, and that's really definitely possible in Morocco, whether in in the Sahara where it's just sand stretching out as far as you can see. Or you're you're going through a little town's um, um, marketplace, and there's just so many smells and spices and different things going on there. So much activity. Um, so that's just that's just I think one of the most appealing things about Morocco. It just feels like a very uh, very unique and different place. One of the things we try to uncover at World Nomads and and on the podcast is those places that are off the beaten track. And when you Google IndieTraveler.co, and we will have the links in our in our show notes, <laughs> you go to Morocco and there's a link there to the seven best places for wild swimming. So what what are some of those secret spots? That's an interesting that's an interesting question because um, uh, I think the resource I linked was uh, was on another site, and I um, I did use that to find one uh, swimming hole near, uh, I believe it was near Tafraut, a small town in the south, um, and just went up there and um, um, you get to a place where there's really no um, no sign or anything. You have to know where it is <laughs> uh, or ask people around and um, you get to a, a sort of an oasis-like place in um, in uh, amid the rocks um, where you we, uh, can take a little dive. It's, uh, it was quite deep, actually. You could jump right in. Um, that was not on any tour itinerary that um, I expect to know of. Okay, so how much does it cost to travel to, not travel to <laughs> Morocco, because as you say, yeah. uh, you can get uh, budget airline flights to, to Morocco. But yeah. w- once you're there on the ground, how do you do it yeah. without breaking the pocket? Um, I would say don't take tours. <laughs> um, there, there are um, very many tours on offer when you get to Morocco that take you to the desert and so on and so on. Um, But these do cost a little bit more. Um, Another um, great tip is not to not let yourself be um, uh, seduced too much by all the salespeople that are everywhere. Uh, they will try to sell you an expensive rug, and um, if you, you don't have the budget for that, um, you should resist, of course. Um, uh, but in general, um, if, you, um, if, you, if you stay in, in um, uh, budget accommodation and um, you eat in non-touristy places, uh, and it, this can be a huge difference between you know um, having some food on the main square or walking a block or two away from there and, and, and going to a local place. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be too expensive. Um, I, I think it's um, a country that you can do on a backpacker budget, a budget of maybe you know, 30 or 40 US dollars a day. It doesn't have to be too expensive if you, um, if you try to travel independently and take local buses and, take, um, and, and eat local food. <laughs> Still to come, surfing in Morocco, but right now let's hear Claudia's story of her time with a local family in Morocco. I had already bought my tickets to Morocco. I was going, I didn't know anybody. And then I um, happened to connect with a family member who someone who worked for him was Moroccan. Um, and I, I met him and he was like, oh, well, you should call my sister when you get there. So I was like, okay, cool. So I did that and I, without having set up a length of stay or like really any formalities at all. She was just like, yeah, call me when you get to the bus station, you can come stay with us. And I ended up staying for a whole month. Wow. Um, yeah. And that was the month of November. 
Um, and I was personally going through a lot at that time, um, which I don't know if we necessarily want to get into, but like the whole trip was kind of like an eat, pray, love thing for me. I had just gone through this whole big breakup. I had left my job. I had left Los Angeles. I had left everything. Um, I was assaulted the first week of my trip when I was in France, um, and then came to Morocco. Um, which was funny because it was like the place that I was in the most danger was actually the place that I was the most comfortable. Um, so anyway, that it was like a lot that I was going through when I arrived at their doorstep. Um, but they were so welcoming and like, who is this girl that doesn't speak any Arabic? And like, she doesn't know how to milk a cow and all this kind of stuff, but they were like, so willing to teach me. Um, and they, you know, I just like, we very quickly started uh, making jokes about how, like, I wasn't going to go back to America and I was just going to stay in Morocco and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff and how I was going to bring my mother over and all that. Um, and again, early on, it was like the first week or two that the uh, American elections happened. And um, the, the people that I was staying with, it was, they were four sisters um, and one of their, the sister's sons and the youngest of the four sisters was actually really cool. She spoke English and French as well as Arabic and Berber. Um, but she was like one of only four women who was elected a council member of like their local community council. And so she was very much a representative for women's rights in the community. Um, so she was, politically savvy and aware and had been paying attention to the American elections as everybody was, cause it was just all over the news everywhere. Um, so we had all sort of been joking around about like Hillary, Hillary, like we're so excited. Um, and then that obviously wasn't how it turned out. Um, so my sense of like, uh, like disembodiment and just sort of not really knowing where I was or what was going on and having this really bizarre set. Like I was in this very different place with people that I didn't know, but was becoming more comfortable with. And all these crazy things were happening in my life and in the world. And like, blah, 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 blah. And it was coming on to the holidays, which were, are, are about, you know, home and family and things that are supposed to be comfortable and familiar and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's something that I latch onto a lot no matter what. Uh, and I think because I knew that Thanksgiving was sort of at the end of my time with them, I was planning to leave because I had to get back for my flight. So I knew that was when I had to leave. Um, and I just wanted to like offer something because they had been cooking with me for a month. And so I was like, well, I can, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can cook this for them. Um, so that was sort of the idea was that it was like, I wanted to make this dinner for them. Um, as like a, a parting gesture, a sort of a, a, a giving of thanks, actually, for the hospitality that they had shown me. So that was sort of where it came from. Well, and you, you talk in your story about actually crying after that election result and then realising that the soon-to-follow travel ban would affect, yeah, you know, people like your host. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I was... Well, first off, the, it, the, all of this was going down in the wee hours of the morning in Morocco. It was very, very late at night in, in the U.S. Um, that the counts were coming in and, and this was happening. And I remember setting an alarm and getting up at like five in the morning and checking the news and like 
seeing what was going on and being like, like, that was the first thing that I saw when I woke up that morning was like, oh my God, like this did not happen the way I wanted it to. Mm. Um, and was, and for a couple of hours, I was just glued to my computer screen, um, in my room alone. And like, once it was finally settled, I was weeping in my bed alone for a little while. Um, and then I finally was like, I have to collect myself and go downstairs because they're going to be confused and they're not going to know where I am. So I have to go down for breakfast. Um, and then as soon as I would try to start to talk about it, um, I would start to cry again. And, uh, I remember I just kept saying to them, I was like, they, she lost, she lost. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was what I kept saying over and over again. It's like, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm getting emotional about it now. Um, and yeah, so it was like that, that sort of started the, the month. And then I kind of just had to leave it. I had to leave all of that and focus on being where I was. Um, which was really difficult. Um, and I, you know, I stopped journaling for a little bit. I stopped checking my emails. I stopped doing whatever and just really focused on, um, getting the most out of being where I was, um, going out and picking carrots, going and milking the cow. Uh, you know, I became really good friends with the, the sons, um, the both of the sister's sons, they spoke English. Um, and one of them really taught me quite a decent amount of Arabic at the time. Um, so that was the relationship that I had. And, and again, I was extremely emotional when I left the night before I left them after we had had our Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. Um, there, there was some sort of miscommunication. They, one of them was Khadija actually, who I wrote about was going to henna my hands. And we like, hadn't, there was some sort of miscommunication about when it was going to happen. And so like, she didn't know I was leaving the next day and it was late at night. And so we weren't going to do it. And like somehow the stress of like, whether or not I would get the henna on my hands, I just started crying. (laughs) It was one of those things where it was like, it wasn't a big deal, but it it was a big deal. That was, that was like where I was when I left. Um, and we were all, we were all super sad. Like there, one thing that I loved about the, everyone that I met in Morocco is that they were so, um, immediately passionate or like so open with their love for each other, for strangers, whatever. Like they were immediately very effusive with like, Oh, you're one of the family. You're one of us now. We love you. You know, like so quick to that. Um, and, and that was really affecting cause I, I felt that way about them too. So of course to get back and so soon after that have such a smack in the face as like, this blatantly ethnic travel ban um, happening in my my home country, which I also care deeply about. Um, it was just like adding insult to injury in a way that was um, motivating at the time. I was very involved in local politics for a little while when I got back. Um, I drove from Nashville to D.C. by myself in one go to go to the Women's March. And I drew up a poster um, with all of the words of hatred that I had learned pulled from Donald Trump's speeches on one side, and then all of the words of love and friendship and community that I had been taught in Arabic by these women and men in Morocco, and like marched all day with it. Um, mm-hmm. well, I could listen to you all day. <laughs> 
Uh, I could talk about it all day. Yeah, I bet you could. I bet you could. I try not to talk about it so much because I'm like, I don't want to be that girl that's like, oh, yes, that time that I was in Morocco. Like, oh, oh, when I was in Morocco, like, I I would talk about it all day, every day. So big thumbs up for Morocco from you, Claudia. Yeah, big thumbs up. Big thumbs up. (laughs) And listen, now, you you know, time's passed. Have you stopped crying? Have you been through your eat, pray, love? I mean, I've stopped crying about that, but whoever really stops crying... Phil, Claudia was one of our 2018 Writing Scholarship winners. Yep, there's always some quality stuff comes out of that. It's great. Yeah, she spent time in Argentina. She's got a few stories coming out from her time there, but she has also put that story into print, so we'll share that in show notes as great. well. Now, Peter Murphy's an Aussie guy. He's just visited Morocco, and he pulled his phone out to capture some of the locals for the World Nomads podcast. Welcome to the Medina Affairs, and I have with me Khalid, who uh, has been here for all his life. He's uh, a descendant of the original Berber uh, well, inhabitants of the land. And uh, hello, Khalid. Why is uh, Morocco different to all the other Islamic states? You, you don't see a lot of the Burkas, and you seem to have a freer life. Yes, because that's mainly uh, in, imported or introduced by different ideologies uh, went through uh, TV channels or other people who went through Middle East. Uh, we are proud to be a native people of uh, Morocco, but also North Africa. We have our own Islamic uh, version practiced in Morocco, very, uh, very soft and very modern, uh, believing on everyone's freedom and respect, exactly. Uh, so it's not as strict as an Islamic rule? No, people definitely. People don't actually pray exactly. for our so People that. confuse us with the Middle East, and a good example is Arabi Saudi which is more a tribal Islam. So it's an Islam, as we know it, the religion which is a, a religion of, of, of uh, coexistence and living in peace, but they introduced the tribe ritual, which is very strict and conservative. And it is not the case in Morocco, where the native people have always lived in peace and harmony. And we did have different civilization on our land that we welcomed them sometimes with a fight or sometimes with hospitality. The diversity is our highlight. We are all different, but in the same time, one nation. And here is Aziz, who grew up in the Medina of Fez. Aziz, Hello. why do people come to Morocco? What's well, the best thing? Well, Morocco, of course, we have the sun, we have the beautiful weather, the landscape, and of course, history, lots of history in Morocco. Nice food, nice people, very friendly, and they see something exotic. Hey, that's not what you told me before. You said people come to Morocco to see you. Yeah, of course. Aziz, famous in all Morocco. I'm getting famous in the whole world, so they come to see me, to see, I mean, to learn about, uh, from me, to see, to learn, I mean, the jokes, I tell them about Morocco, about everything. You're a funny man. Yes, thank Thanks, you. Aziz. Thank you. Bye now. And here we have Mohammed. Mohammed, why do people come to Morocco? Please, they come to Morocco for buying carpet and drinking mint tea. A lot of mint tea. Because the mint tea, it's aphrodisiac. And my wife, she told me, stop Mohammed, no more mint tea. I have five kids. No more kids, no more mint tea. You've got beautiful carpets here. Beautiful carpets here, Mohammed. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks, Merv. Rach and men, anyone can do that. If you're overseas... Yeah, we'd love to hear you. Just take some... Just on your iPhone, send it through on podcast at worldnomads.com. Yep, very easy to do. We'd love to hear you. Rach and Marty, they're two women, also known as the Very Hungry Nomads. <laughs> they're big on food, and they're taking this adventure to visit every country in the world very seriously, 195 of them. <sighs> 
Let's check in and see what inspired them. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously travelling's in our blood. We've, we've both been travelling for a long, long time and we love it. However, a couple of years ago we took off together and did um, a year and a half travel. So we did you know, travels through Iran and Central Asia um, and Mexico for a couple of months. It was it was awesome. So it was a year and a half and we got back um, and we went back to work and thought, okay, let's go back to the nine to five, let's get jobs. We work in travel anyway and returned for a couple of years and when people would ask us about our travels through those countries, which were incredible and beautiful, um, pretty much the number one question they would say is, oh, was it safe to travel? Is it safe to travel as females? You know, did you feel safe? Also, like, how many countries are there? So I think those were the two questions that we we got asked so much. And then um, from that, they didn't really ask too much. I mean, they did ask about our, our trip, but... It was more about is it safe and how many countries are there. So we got to talking and thought, well, how many, yeah. how many countries actually are there? Because it does go up and down a little bit or, you know, is up and then, discussion. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the question was, uh, has anyone seen them all? And when we sort of looked it up, it was there were not that many people. And it was really dominated by males. And we were just kind of like, well, wait a minute, you know, yeah. how come there's no women? We do meet solo female travellers travelling out there. Um, and I guess from that moment, somehow, like, I think I, I turned around to Rach and went and had the coffee and said, like, hey, you want to see them all? And it, it was. We're literally yeah. in the cafe. Marty said, do you want to go and see them all? And I, I straight away, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's let's do this. So the plan was born. The plan was it was definitely hatched. So we started planning how we'd actually make it all work and the most logical way that we'd be able to do it. And and mostly it's to inspire, yeah. Look, you always use your common sense and we always say, you know, do your research uh, so you know where you're going and where you shouldn't be or should be. But overall we think that the world is a much safer place than we make it to be um, through media and we we generally actually greet a bit hospitality and friendliness in most of the countries. You guys happen to be a same-sex couple, so two, two women. Are you married? No. 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 <laughs> Travelling the world and... No. Really, sadly, same-sex couples who choose to travel overseas are at risk of even criminal charges. In fact, it's hard to believe in, in 2018. So I'd love to get your insight into what it's like to, to travel um, as a same-sex couple, knowing as I'm asking you this question, I don't think there should be an issue. So please, yeah. spill the beans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Kim, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely a different world when you are a same-sex, same-sex couple. Uh, in fact, if you look at our blog or our social media, you won't find any reference to the fact that we are. Um, I think for uh, an Australians and, and people in certain countries, it's it's an obvious thing, although we don't promote it, and that's really due to the fact that there are, in fact, countries that um, still have capital punishment for homosexuality. I think there's nine countries. Um, so you do have to have your wits about it. Look, majority of places we actually are going are not really friendly when it comes to same-sex couple. In fact, just getting a, a double bed, which is just such a normal thing for any other couple, um, is a challenge. We tend to go between, oh, can we have a double bed because the mattress is better? Or we watch movies on a computer, so can we have a bed so we can easily watch them? We don't really show any affection that goes beyond uh, you know, being best friends, and that's often what we say, we're best friends. I think that's common as in a lot of countries, they don't really show affection, so it's, it's not a biggie. 
But um, look, it does feel wonderful when you go to a place and suddenly you can just do the extra, hold hold a hand, or maybe just you know have a dinner or not be questioned. When we do book double bed through an online <laughs> online reservations, almost always we get to the room and it's a twin room. So then we have to go downstairs and yeah. ask who we booked. If we've booked a yeah, yeah. double or a queen, and then they sort of you rock up, and then they yeah. give you the twins, and yeah. I'm like, who's going to go down this time? What do I call it? Hashtag uh, twin beds by default. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag twin beds by default. I love that. Absolutely, and and I think the other thing, Kim, is that what is so obvious to to most of us, we see gay couples all the time, obviously, um, but in countries where homosexuality is not really legal, or they they just believe that they have no gay people. They don't look for it. They don't. They don't see us as a couple. They just see us as the two friends because, I guess, they their expectations maybe are different. From this perspective, then, if you are two women that want to travel together, what what's your advice? To connect with other women, other travellers. Oh, good one. Um, Instagram's a great one for that. We're, we use a lot of Instagram, and it's almost um. I mean, social media, but Instagram's great because. Uh, we can connect with women who have tra- traveled somewhere and if they saw a few more travelers yeah. or if they're traveling together then they can give us really tips good. and hints tips and hints and instant it's it's really good yeah. and they're, they're women and people from all over the world obviously did you guys win like the 21 million dollar saturday lotto draw or something how are you funding this <laughs> <Bitch>. <laughs> uh, hey oh. we haven't got kids um <laughs> that helps yeah uh, well actually originally we said okay let's just do this trip uh everyone tells us that we can't get a mortgage because we're spending too much money on the avocado smash <laughs> so we're like okay we'll just cut it down we have lots of money right that's what the baby was <laughs> that didn't work but um ultimately we put all our all our life savings into this trip um it means that we might not have a house uh, or probably a tiny apartment ever at the cost of <laughs> dwellings yeah um so we're putting all of our savings in. We are traveling on a strict budget of 50 US dollars a day per person, which can be challenging at times. But I think at the end of the day, like we've both worked really, really hard, um, you know, the same as anyone else to get enough money. And bottom line is we're pretty minimalist. You know, we always have been. We're, we're super happy with just a couple of black T-shirts and our, our, our shorts and this. Yeah. We, we travel with the carry-on backpack also, Kim, so we've got to keep it um, kilos, super yeah. light. Um, it's the way forward, if, if especially if you're doing this many countries. We might do couch surfing a little bit again. We've done it in Iran a couple of years ago, and that was just amazing. the most amazing experience. Um, what was amazing about couch surfing? Yeah. Just that you got to live in the homes of, of, of locals? It, it, yeah, absolutely. And I guess because Iran has, we, we know so little until you, you visit, um, and everything kind of happens behind the closed doors because uh, you cannot go out, there's no bars, there's no drinking. So the young people tend to, young and old, tend to meet all in their, uh, in their homes and they have little elaborate, dinner parties. Elaborate lounge rooms. Yeah, elaborate lounge rooms. Me, and yeah. they put music on so we started dancing because there's not really, there's no places you can dance. Yeah, it was incredible because we could, we got to know people and learn more about it. We we played spin the bottle. We didn't even know what to like ask. It's like, I don't want to insult anyone. I really don't know, like. <laughs> We only read up to a certain point. You don't have that in the guidebook. Like, yeah. what well, you should not ask and spin the bottle. Yeah. Then I remember Rachel, it was Rachel's turn. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't mind answering any questions, yeah. but I'm like, I don't know what to ask. And then I remember you asked the girl, the other girl for team. I'm like, oh, did you ever kiss a girl? And then they all giggled. They're like, yeah, 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 we were practicing. <laughs> and we 
so phenomenal. And then one of the guys, I'm not kidding, it was like, what, 15 of us? Yeah. He asked uh, his friend, if you had to be with the guy, like, which one would you choose here? And he says, like, oh, you know, so-and-so, whatever his name was. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God, that is so open-minded. That was awesome. And, and they took us all of the places that they eat and the food was phenomenal. Rach, Marty, you are amazing nomads, incredibly inspiring. You're on an incredible adventure and you guys are on a journey of a lifetime. Oh, oh, thanks. And at the time of recording, Rach and Marty were in Cyprus. We'll have a link to the blog in show notes so you can follow their journey. Uh, by the way, Morocco, uh, it's a relatively safe place for women to travel. It's had its you know bad reputation, but it's not too bad now. Uh, and while um, same-sex relationships are illegal for locals, right. if you're travelling as a same-sex couple or LGBTQ in Morocco, you can't be punished by law, but, you know, take it easy. Don't offend anybody too much. Don't be too uh, over the top. Yeah, be discreet. Indeed. Now, Photo Enrichment Adventures was founded by travel photographer, author and international guide Ralph Velasco. He runs cultural tours focusing on photography. Is that right, Ralph? Right. I, I teach travel photography and I call them cultural tours with a focus on photography. So photography is a part of the trip. Uh, these aren't uh, photo workshops, which by my definition is pretty much 12 hours a day photography all the time. And so our trips are about half day scheduled, half day free time and photography is a part of it. Now, just before we started chatting, I did say that anyone that goes to Morocco and takes a photo seems to get it right. Is it visually stunning or are we looking at, you know, photos with a few tricks? No, I mean, it's a, it's a gorgeous place. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to take a bad shot there, but uh, obviously everyone does, even myself. But uh, to me, it's uh, in any destination, it's about being out at the right time of day. So getting that better light in Morocco has wonderful light. I say my number one tip is uh, just get out early. And uh, Patrick Symes, who's a photographer, says, if you don't like getting out early, then be a writer. <laughs> I like so that. I, yeah, I love that one. So I, I use that often and I think it's very true. Yeah. And look, so many backdrops in Morocco, too. You're really spoiled for choice. Yeah, no, it's it's a wonderful country for variety. And what I look for in a country when uh, or a destination when I'm putting together my trips is variety. And Morocco has that in spades. And so everything you said, uh, beautiful old cities and whitewashed walls and the blue city of Chefchaouen and uh, the capital of Rabat, uh, Casablanca, which uh, gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, kind of a place to just kind of fly in and out of. I think it's got one of the best medinas or old towns that I've seen in Morocco, um, near the old center. And uh, so I, I love the market there. And so we, uh, you know, I get my people out and we, we go out and we shoot those places. It's great. So you've mentioned a few of your favorite spots. Any that you won't find in a guidebook that you've stumbled across and just thought, wow. Well, uh, I'm sure it's probably in a in a guidebook, but uh, there's a, a a small town called Skoura, S K O U R A, and we kind of use it as a a midpoint between the desert of Erfoud, uh, which is kind of the main city around uh, Erfoud uh, for the Sahara Desert. It's kind of that that stepping point off to the to the uh, that really iconic 
sand dunes that you see and camel rides, things like that. These great uh, hotels right out in the desert. Um, but uh, Skuda is sort of on the way to uh, Marrakesh. And so we use it as a stop off point. And one of my favorite things that we do on the whole trip is we actually do a hike through an oasis. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but I used to watch those old cartoons. And, uh, you know, to me, an oasis was just a, a little clump of sand with one palm tree. <laughs> and uh, But in Morocco, and I'm sure other parts of the world, they can be 40 miles long and wow. five miles wide. And so, you, you know, just in this very stark, dry desert, you've got this very lush, uh, you know, obviously there's a river there, there's got to be water. <clears throat> and so uh, the, there's these communities that have developed and uh, we walk through the the oasis and and see what's actually there because as you're driving, uh, and there's a lot of driving in Morocco, uh, you see these oasis. You're driving by them typically, but to actually get in them and see, uh, you know, how they really work is to me really fascinating. What's the most photogenic country? Ooh, that's that's a tough question. Uh, they're all photogenic in their own ways and for different reasons. Now, uh, I say as a travel photographer, you you have to be a jack of all genres, master of some, and uh, a genre of photography. You know, you've got architectural photographers, you've got landscape photographers, portrait photographers, but as a travel photographer, if you want to tell the story of the place, you have to come back with a variety of images. Mm. And so that's why I look for variety in the places that I go to. And uh, Morocco is certainly high on that list, but uh, also Romania is wonderful, uh, Cambodia, uh, Cuba, of course. And it doesn't matter what kind of camera you have or what your experience is. If the light is good, that's going to take your photography to another level. Well, you've also captured images on your iPhone, haven't you? Yeah, and I've uh, got some really nice stuff on my iPhone. And uh, actually, one of my shots from Morocco uh, was a finalist in the smartphone category for the Travel Photographer of the Year uh, just two, three years ago. And it's a shot of I'm sitting on the camel and I've got the camel in his head and the, the camel driver. And in the distance, you see our hotel. It's just a really a nice shot. But uh, what you can get with these smartphones is just incredible. And I'm doing a lot more video these days as well and using the smartphone almost exclusively for that. Wow. Well, that's exciting. So anyone that's listening, you don't have to, if you're going to Morocco, pack a digital SLR, you'll capture some good stuff on your iPhone. Yeah, you, you sure can. And, uh, and I don't even use a DSLR anymore. Uh, they're, they're big, they're heavy, they're very uh, obtrusive to the, to the subject. And yeah. so uh, I like to use uh, what's called a mirrorless system or the micro four thirds, sort of between a DSLR and a smartphone, this fairly new category. Uh, but they're lightweight, they're small, uh, they're not obtrusive to your, to your subject. And uh, I don't want to look like a professional photographer. Uh, I just want to look like, you know, regular Joe, and that's going to help me get a lot of, uh, a lot better photographs than if I've just got this huge camera, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that can be intimidating to the subject. We'll have a link to Mystical Morocco Tour for 2019 in show notes. But right now... 
I've given myself a theme song. Here is the news. Travel news. <laughs> How cheesy is that? That is very cheesy. <laughs> Are you seriously going to keep that? Uh, we might vote see, on I don't it. know. Yeah, okay. You can vote on it. Well, it All gets right. the attention, though. <laughs> you've set out you know, to, to grab our attention. I think you've achieved it, Phil. Thank you very much. I've got another thing for you. You ready? Yep. The Inception horn. <laughs> what? What's that? Oh, for when something dangerous is happening. I like it. I can see this is this is going somewhere. This is going somewhere. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. All right. Slightly serious start to the news. As we speak, Hawaii is bracing itself for a battering from a hurricane, as is Western Japan, although it's a typhoon once you switch hemispheres. And earthquakes continue to ripple across Indonesia, Venezuela and Trinidad and Tobago. Kerala, Kerala, Kerala in southern India is uh, dealing with a flood crisis, as are parts of Laos and Thailand. So stay safe, everybody. And if you're thinking of travelling to any of these spots in the coming weeks, check with us here at worldnomads.com about your insurance coverage. Mm. Uh, Maybe even read the policy summary so you know what is and what is not covered in terms of cancellation, delay and rescheduling and what have you. But chat to us if you're going to head off uh, to any of those places. All right, here we go. Uh, Here's something definitely not covered, let me tell you. Italian police are hunting a couple of tourists who stripped down to their underwear in this summer's heat and took a dip in the fountain at the monument to the unknown soldier. No, not uh, They both mate. face fines of several hundred dollars each if caught and are probably a kick up the bum as well from the local constabulary. Kim, I've got to tell you, Iceland, it seems, is so yesterday with another Nordic country set to take the mantle as the hottest spot for travellers. It's riding on a wave of popularity popularity as a foodie destination and because of those quirky Nordic noir TV mystery shows. Do you watch any of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm talking about is Denmark. Denmark is booming. And the books too. There are lots of great um, authors or books. Girl with a dragon tattoo and all that. Isn't that Sweden, that one? Oh, possibly. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say Dan- sort of the same. <laughs> the Danish Tourism Authority oh. says they expect to top 10 million visitors by 2021. Hotel occupancy already runs at 80%, so expect to see a lot of building work over the next five years. Copenhagen is going to be chockers. Gee, that is, that's exciting. Vogue has named a list of underrated countries you should visit now before everyone else does. The irony of the headline seems to be lost on them, but anyway. Uh, on the list, Zagreb in Croatia as a capital, Palawan Island in the Philippines, Marrakesh in Morocco, of course. Uh, da Nang in Vietnam that we've spoken about in an earlier episode and Tasmania. Yes! No, I'm only kidding. It's not on the list. Oh, <laughs> why would you do that to me? Why would you do that to a Ta- good Launceston <laughs> Tasmania being my home state. And it is, but seriously, it is one that's on the lips of most travellers, even from, like, don't look at me like that. <laughs> don't look at me. I'm going to no, take you there. I'm going to take you on tour. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Let's move on. All right, let's move on. We have a guest in the World Nomad studio here in Sydney that you met at a travel expo. Yeah, yeah. Ollie, welcome to the studio, mate. It was great to meet up with you down at the Travel Massive meetup in Sydney. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Phil. It's good to meet you there. Well, we were pretty excited about your business, Rad Season. So can you just take us through what it is? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, Rad Season is a one-stop shop for action sports and adventure events and festivals. Uh, where we showcase festivals worldwide. 
So it's everything from surfing events in uh, in Australia, uh, the US, to um, snowboarding festival, music festivals in Europe. And, yeah, we, we've got a, um, a whole variety of festivals which we cover. Anything that's rad. Anything that's rad. And did you that's get it. into that because you were a bit of an adventure traveller yourself? Is that how you got into uh, it? Yeah, so I guess uh, my main... Uh, probably for the past 15 years as uh, my, my main sort of goal with, with traveling was to do something uh, predominantly around surfing and action sports related. So surfing, snowboarding, mountain biking. The site's now been up for two years. Well, there's plenty on it. And obviously this podcast is about Morocco. So I had a bit of a search on what is happening in Morocco outside of the markets and outside of the Sahara Desert. There are actually music festivals and there's a big surfing culture. Surfing. Now, that, uh, that, uh, my jaw dropped right of that, surfing in Morocco. You just don't yeah. put the two together, do no. you? It's amazing. I, I've, I'm, I'm originally from, uh, from, uh, from London and uh, we would always sort of, uh, friends and I, or, or I go off on, on, on solo trips and, uh, and we'd plan, um, surfing locations that would like, not just in Europe, but, um, that, uh, that would be close to, uh, London, uh, and, uh, Morocco. The, the capital of surfing, Tagazoo and Agadir is about four hour flight, um, from London and, and they're doing daily flights there and it's a completely different world. And sort of the first time I went there, um, it was probably about 10 years ago. And then since then, sort of been back numerous times and, um, predominantly just, just to go surfing because it's such a, yeah, such an incredible place. Is it Mediterranean Sea? Um, or? so it's, it's on the Atlantic, um, okay. On, yeah, on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it sort of cuts in on the north in, in, um, uh, right near Gibraltar in, in, in the north of Morocco sort of breaks into the Mediterranean. But the main sort of surfing is um, sort of based around the central, um, uh, like central part of Morocco near, near Agadir and then south. Um, so from the Western Sahara all the way up, there's amazing waves. And um, yeah, yeah, it's it's just and nobody on them. Um, some of the some of the areas are getting a bit more a um, bit more popular. Um, but uh, yeah, if you if you take a if you take a drive, you can definitely find sort of empty. Empty, amazing oh. waves yourself. So for those people that understand surfing terms, what kind of breaks are they? Uh, so breaks, I mean, I'd say it was the the Disneyland of right-hand point breaks in anywhere in the world that I've been. I mean, I've surfed probably about 35, 40 countries, and um, Morocco is, yeah, is, is something special for surfing. Give us a few more countries then. As Phil said, his yeah. jaw dropped when we put Morocco and surfing in the one sentence. Yeah. When we did the podcast on Peru, that's got a massive surfing culture. It does, yeah. Give me three other countries that you don't expect there to be a surfing culture. Um, so uh, Israel is one. I couldn't believe it when I was out there and there was probably about 100 people in the water. and yeah. It was like being on Manly Beach. Really? Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. Okay, that's one. Where else? I'd say... Um, I'd say the UK and Scotland has got a pretty, no. <laughs> pretty big scene. It, it's cold. You'd have but, to have uh, a fairly thick wetsuit, yeah. I would think. Um, but uh, yeah, all, all around, all around the UK, um, sort of Cornwall and Devon in, in the south, and then um, yes, Scotland's amazing. Um, Norway has got some incredible waves, and then now I guess there's all these locations which are sort of cold water um, surfing destinations that people are sort of looking to do once they've done all the ones around the equator and all their tropical yeah. kind of locations. So um, when you're in back to Morocco, when you're there, what what's it like in terms of safety? Um, I mean, there's like one or two that are patrolled, but the majority of of the surfing spots, yeah, you're left to your own devices. So that, yeah, there isn't much of water like water safety. But if you're, it's sort of 
like there's there's plenty of spots for beginners, intermediate surfers, advanced. So there's a variety of breaks. There's beach breaks, and yeah, there's sort of um, there's a, there's a big infrastructure around the surfing there now. So people can go on surf camps, and there's there's people sort of all over the world, all over Europe, coming to Morocco to do a week's surfing experience, and some of them sort of incorporated with yoga, and you stay in these amazing um, camps and and places, and um, normally sort of go out um, every day. Doing doing surfing classes with um with with local guides and local instructors. Apart from the Disneyland of you know right hand point breaks, what is it that you like about Morocco? Um, I guess the main the main thing that we, it was so different. So sort of surfing in Europe, um, and surfing different countries in Europe, they've all got their own. Like whether you're in in France or Portugal or Spain, it's still sort of you still you, you still obviously you, you are in Europe, but you feel that way. Whereas yeah. for this maybe like a half an hour longer flight to get to Africa and get to Morocco, you feel like you're in the, like a completely different world. Mm. So I think like the first, first time I ever got there, um, traveling from London in December, getting off the tube, it was freezing, get to the airport, arrive in Agadir and then, um, jump in a, jump in a minivan 20 minutes away, um, suit up, get in the wetsuit and it's sort of, it's 25 degrees. Um, People, all, all, all the locals, are sort of standing on on the cliffside wearing jalabas, which is these robes. It sort of looks like something out of Star Wars. Um, there's camels. It's it's just a completely like all these senses, all these smells that you're getting from the market, and um, yeah, everything from sort of saffron to all these different spices, and that's something okay. that you don't really get. Anywhere else. Yeah, see you later, Kim. <laughs> see <ya>. She's gone. <laughs> I'll say goodbye, though, before I head off to Morocco. Thanks so much for coming in. We'll share Rad Season in show notes. And if you've got a pick of you surfing in Morocco, that'd be great, too. Yeah, love yeah, to see Norris. too. Cheers. Cool. Thanks, guys. That brings us to the end of our episode on Morocco. Fairly action-packed, that episode. So time to find out the answer to your quiz question. Uh, name three Hollywood blockbusters that were wholly or partly filmed in Morocco. Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, obviously, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Jewel, the Jewel of the Nile. Yes. Uh, we've also got The Mummy. Yes. Uh, Alexander, the one with Angelina Jolie in yep. early 2000s. Sex in the City 2, although are we calling yep. that a movie? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and this one? Inception. <laughs> and also the James Bond movie, Spectre. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, American Sniper and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Find us on iTunes or the Google Podcast app. Get in touch by emailing podcast at worldnomads.com. Our next destination episode, Phil, where are we heading? Uruguay. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we'll see you there. Bye. It Bye. might just be me. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.